Welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast. This is Chris. We are really excited that you've joined us again today as we move through our breakout sessions from our 2022 National Gathering. On today's episode, Jeff Dooler discusses identity and what our identity really looks like. He challenges us to think about identity in a new way and not just thinking about what you do for a living, where you come from, your family, but thinking about how God made you. Let's go ahead and jump into this breakout session together. My name is Jeff Durler, and it's wonderful to have you. It's cool to look in the faces of the people I've been praying for. Um, When I was asked if I wanted to do a breakout session and what it would be on, I I had several things come to mind. Um, One was inner healing and the journey um, to inner healing. But I feel like the idea of identity is kind of premised to that. And um, so I just felt like this was the topic. And I really trust that God brought you here for a reason. Though, I will say that when I would go to conferences, my uh, senior pastor told me, sit in the back. Because if it's kind of lame, you can slip out uh, easily without making a disturbance. So I'm going to assume if if you make your way out, it's because it was so good. You got everything you needed at that point, and you're good to go. Um, it's like curler with a D. I wish I had curly hair to help as a mnemonic, but I don't. Um, so what I want to do is just, there, there may be a few more people who trickle in. I would love to hear um, why you chose this breakout, because there's all kinds of amazing sessions. What was the hook? What about this session, identity and the disciple-making process, was the draw for you? Guys, thank you for selecting this session. I would like to open in prayer, if we could. Heavenly Father, we come to know you as Father, and we are your children. And this is uh, really good news. And yet, for many of us, we are still living by sort of unknown and hidden operating systems that are not that secure foundation as your beloved. And many of the people that we work with and will be able to share you with are susceptible to the same thing. And so we want now to have you center us on on your son and Jesus. We specifically want you to be lifted up so that we could be more like you and do what you told us to do. So show us what that means and how we can be influencers in every sphere of influence that we have, whether it is a leadership role in a, in a, in a group of people, a church family, or a student ministry, but most definitely in the relationships that are woven into our everyday life. We ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Because the way you answered that question of who am I, I am blank, is related to this next one, what shapes our identity? Show of hands, who is a parent? Have you ever done something where you've been working with your kids and they are trying to help, but they're actually messing it up or making a mess or or it's taking longer or whatever? Have you ever tried to do something to, to, to be healthy and then found out later that what you were doing was actually counterproductive to your own health? I remember that one time we were learning about health and we were distilling our water and we had a distiller and, and my wife says, now I know that that probably made you gray because we were leaching out all of the minerals that you kind of need. So that's frustrating, right? When you, you try and do something to be healthy or even just like in a relationship, like if you're married to somebody or you have a good friend or something like that and you're trying to do something to help, but you found, find out later that it was actually hurting the whole time. I have a very serious concern 
that we might be doing that in disciple-making by not rightly emphasizing identity. That's why I wanted to, that's why I picked this topic. Has anyone heard of When Helping Hurts? It's basically a framework for, pov- for understanding poverty and working for pe- with people who are in poverty. And what it illuminates is sort of a toxic charity. There are mis- uh, mi- mission groups that have gone to Haiti and the kids will throw mud on the school before the mission trip arrives so that the mission trip people realize, oh, we're doing something big here. We've cleaned up this place. And um, this idea of trying to help can actually be perpetuating a broken system. I want to get into that. At the top, this is what we're going to cover. What exactly is identity? Why is it such a big deal? How should Jesus' example and teaching elevate our emphasis on it? What are steps we can take individually and as church leaders to bring identity in Christ back to its rightful priority? In this session, we'll explore foundations and strategies that fit your life and your church. And so I've got this little guy down here. And if you want to follow along in the PDF, I'll kind of, you'll kind of be seeing there's some slides. Um, but he's asking three questions. These are the fundamental human questions that people have been asking throughout existence around the world. Who am I? That's a question of identity. Why am I here? That's a question of purpose. And where am I going? That speaks to the question of, of hope or destiny for the future. And so when I asked you, who am I? What did you guys say? What, what kind of answers? Who, who gave your name? Who said, my name is? Who spoke about your family? I am, maybe your role. What did, what did you say? I'm a dad, I have kids. I'm a dad, I have kids. You identified yourself by the constellation of relationships in your life. Were there any other categories that you guys, in, in giving that? Not, not specifically what did you say, but what was the category that you used? Let me give you a definition, though. Let me give you a definition of identity. Identity is who we are and who we believe ourselves to be. See, those are two different things. Who we are and who we believe ourselves to be are not always aligned. And this is part of the work of following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and helping others follow Jesus. It's an inner transformation so that who we are in Jesus is how we believe, who we believe ourselves to be. So what shapes our identity? The list here, uh, relationships. You guys mentioned that. Um, I'm a father. I've got children. Our roles. You mentioned career. Did anybody talk about maybe uh, your role in a church? Um, if you're a leader or you know, you've got some role in that sense. Your name. We hit on that. Your family history. You know, if you go to other places around the world, who are you? I'm the son of, of uh, such and such person. Their immediate identification is by your family lineage. Um, it could also be your gender. I'm... Um, um, this, your race, your age, your sexuality, that's a big thing right now. People have built their lives and their primary identity on this category here. Your values, your beliefs, abilities, talents, maybe even limits. People identify themselves by what they can't do, their disability instead of their ability, personality qualities. Physical features is a big one. Come on now. We identify and see ourselves, whether or not we introduce ourselves as I am this height or I see myself in this way, um, internal to, to us, our hurts, wounds, pain, addictions, and problems, and emotions, good or bad. Now, I want you to be honest. You won't share this with anybody else, but as you look at that list, 
and you think about yourself, which gives you the biggest hit? Where do you get the biggest dose of the, the internal hormonal dopamine, I feel good about myself, by X, Y, or Z? Look back through that list. Is it your, your relationships, your abilities, your personality, your accomplishments, perhaps? I, uh, I had an experience in May of 2020. Many of you maybe have had a similar experience where I kind of hit a wall. And it was right after COVID came out, and we quickly had to pivot and adapt. And it felt like I had been um, driving a team of like, I don't know, 12 horses on this wagon. And we were just going, going, going. And all of a sudden, we were going downhill, and I saw a ditch. And it took all of my effort to grab those reins. And I was like, whoa! And the dust is flying. And I was expecting this colossal crash. And, and, and I kind of, <laughs> kind of getting my bearings. Again, COVID, May 2020. And I, I look around and, and we made it, meaning our church that I was so focused on and how we, how we do this. Um, but then it was like, all right, things are opening up. In Ohio, things were opening up. And it was like, all right, go, go back up the hill. I just had nothing in the tank. So you could call that burnout. You could call that hitting the wall. You could call it whatever. But it wasn't COVID. And we had been in a building project. I heard a lot of pastors resign at the end of a building project because it just takes so much energy. And, and they, they just pour it all out and they got nothing left in the tank. But it wasn't even that. Um, it had been a tough couple years. Um, our daughter, our oldest daughter, Kayla, she, um, she was 16 and she was driving with, with my parents. Um, she had her temporary permit, and she was learning how to drive, and she was in an automobile accident. She didn't make it. She died August 8th, 2018. And so we had two years of the grief that came with our whole world being turned upside down, but that wasn't the source of my fatigue. It was life fatigue. I'd been driven by a workaholic tendency my whole life. Now, I didn't know why. It was just something I dealt with. You know how they say, like, you might deal with the same problems your whole life, but hopefully you circle around them a little wider, maybe a little higher, maybe a little deeper. And so that was just kind of what I racked up my workaholism to. This is just the problem I'm going to struggle with for life, and I'm just hopefully going to just manage it and get a little better and et cetera, et cetera. Well, I hit that wall in May, and I just had nothing. And um, I texted the staff, and I said, I'm going away this weekend. Um, cover the bases. I'll see you Monday in staff meeting. And it took all of my energy to grab my camping gear and my inflatable kayak and get in the car. And my wife blessed me. She knew I needed to get away. And because everywhere, I just saw work, 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 work. Everywhere there's work. And I went down to Tennessee and paddled out to an island and I had been crying a lot. I was grieving. I was just worn down. I'd, and I just felt like I heard God say, you didn't go far enough. I'm like, wow, I'm like on an island, like five hours away. Like, okay. And that was it. That was, that was all I felt like he was saying in my spirit, you know. So I got back in the car the next morning. I just started driving south. And I was just heading, heading to Florida. And I just called my wife and I said, I don't know how to explain this. I just, I, I hit a wall. I got nothing. And I just feel like God's taking me, um, taking me farther. Now, my parents had a... Uh, second home down there. So I drove to their place, and God rebuilt my operating system. Remember how I said that I think a lot of people are driven by something that's hidden? 
could be shame, could be fear, could be despair, could be a lie, could be a vow, could be any number of things in their life. For me, I was down there in Florida seeking God, and I felt like he put his finger on the source of my workaholism. But it's not the reason most people are workaholics. You guys know the reason most people are workaholics? It's because they never got the affirmation of their father or a father figure or mother. And so they're driven to try and be something, to show everybody else, I can do it. I've got value. I've got worth. I've got significance. Look, look at all that I've done. But I always had my dad's affirmation. My dad's an amazing guy. He, he, he just, he loved me and, and blessed me. I was never striving for that. So I didn't understand why I was like this. And I felt like the Lord just shined a light on that. And he said, the issue is you don't trust me. And I thought, what does that mean? And I thought about my dad, and he's an amazing guy. If you, if, you, if you cut my dad open, goodness flows out. But he wasn't always competent in some life skills growing up. Um, we joke about it, but I remember camping trips where he was spraying the bug spray instead of the, the spray on butter to make the pancakes. I remember running out of gas with the boat on vacation in the lake and recording ourselves yelling for help as we swam our boat out of the cove to try and get someone. I remember forgetting to raise the prop, and so, you know, we pulled the car out. I remember getting lost, and, and, so, um, and so my dad's an amazing guy, and he gave me his love and his affirmation, but I didn't always feel like I could trust him. And so deep down, subconsciously, in my identity, I've got I've to do it. It's on my shoulders. I can't, I can't let go of that because I don't know if I can trust him to take care of it. And so God was doing this rebuilding for me in my operating system. And he was showing me, like, you're leading like Saul instead of leading like David and all this stuff. Here's the, here's the quote. The dominant story of our lives shapes our identity. What you believe about who God is, what he has done, is doing, and will do, determines what you believe about yourself. And so my, my point here is that misunderstandings about this have us running on operating systems in our identity that do not align with the operating system we see in Jesus. He was resilient. Think about all the disappointment that Jesus faced, the disillusionment, the frustration, the hurt, the opposition, the attacks, not unlike what some of you have experienced in your ministries or your churches, or if you haven't yet, you will, from people and they're letting you down. And yet he had like this regenerative, renewal, restorative thing. It was his operating system of his identity. And I want to dig into that, but let me just hit this. Misunderstandings about the gospel. So here's this guy over here. And this is you, me, anybody else. And he's asking, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? When Jesus came he had one central message, um, the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom. He came and he started, repent and believe what? The good news of the kingdom. So he was just constantly focused on the kingdom. What is the good news of the kingdom? It's Jesus. He's the promised king. He's here. And through his life, his death, and his resurrection, we can turn, trust, and follow him to get a whole new 
that changes our purpose and gives us hope for the future. So we, at, at our church, when we talk about the gospel, we kind of use the four creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Too often, we don't get the whole package of the good news of Jesus. And so creation, everybody has a kind of a sense of how the world ought to be. I'm going to draw a tree, and it's covered with beautiful fruit. That was the world God created. It was perfect, perfect relationship to him with each other, with the planet itself. What happened? This is how the world is. Humans have rebelled against God's plan, and that perfect world was shattered, and now we see kind of just this barren tree. The good news is, Jesus came along, and through his life, and as I said, his death and his resurrection, there's some leaves growing. There's redemption. There's hope of a new start, a new life, and a new identity. Ultimately, though, it's not perfected in this life. It's a journey. It's not instantaneous. It's progressive in its trans. Well, there is an element of it's instantaneous, speaking to identity, but its experience is often progressively lived out. The day will come when everything will be restored back to the way it was meant to be. And so this understanding of the gospel answers these fundamental human questions of identity and purpose and our destiny. And so Jesus specifically speaks to these. Now, what often happens, if we were to say the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel is Jesus And through his life, death, and his resurrection, we can turn, that's repent, and trust, that's believe, and follow him. What happens when we do that? When we turn, and we trust, and we follow Jesus? Well, we live with hope for the future. So I'm going to write destiny here. We talked about that. Bobby talked about that. This hope of Jesus, it's huge. We also live with purpose. All of a sudden, everyday life, Monday morning is injected with purpose. But the the impetus, the foundation, the premise, the starting point, the means by which we are sustained in our hope and our purpose is a new identity. And I want to draw this not as repent, believe, and follow Jesus for identity plus purpose plus destiny. I want to suggest, and we'll get into the scripture here in a sec, that identity is the result of turning and trusting and following. And that the new identity that Jesus gives us leads us to live with purpose every day as disciple makers and to have hope for the future. When Jesus, uh, what is it, Hebrews 12 What enabled Jesus to endure opposition from sinful men? It says, for the what set before him? So that was the destiny. Now, where did that come from? It stemmed back to his identity. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going. He knew who he was in relation to the Father. Hey, listener, did you know that Renew.org is mainly supported through donors like you? 
You can go to renew.org forward slash donate for more information. When you support renew.org, you're supporting over 250 church leaders connected in our network who are trying to make disciple making the heartbeat of their church. You're coming alongside families discipling their kids. You're coming alongside church members and seekers who are just wanting biblical clarity on today's toughest issues. You're coming alongside organizations who are planting schools and churches that teach the Bible. Support Renew.org today at renew.org forward slash donate. Thank you so much. Winston Churchill said, we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. As a ministry leader, you know your space matters and you want it to be engaging and effective, but maybe you're not really sure how to make that happen. I'm Abby Barris, designer and ministry veteran, and I'd love to help you figure that out. You can find me at abbybarrisinteriors.com or at churchdesignhelp.com to learn more about how to begin shaping your spaces for intentional discipleship. Uh, we are the salt of the earth, a city on a hill. Just, just look through this list. Look how many of them are we identities, not I identities. This is just keeping it very literal to the scripture. Often, when we talk about the new identity that we get from Jesus, we focus on individual Makes sense. We're Americans. We're immersed in a culture that's so individualistic. But actually, when you study scripture, so much of our identity is a corporate new identity. And so I think that's another thing that we can easily miss. If we are in Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are forgiven. But you know what? We are forgiven too. And that communal nature of, our, uh, of being a family in Jesus that share a sense of being made holy by virtue of Jesus' shed blood on our behalf. It is a communal thing. So we have individual new identity, but we also have a communal new identity. And when we think about who am I, the dominant story of our lives shapes what we believe about ourselves. And so if this story, the good news story of what God has done through Jesus is saturating to the deepest cellular, spiritual, soul level of our being, then all of a sudden, this shapes our identity. And it shapes our identity not just individually, but collectively and communally as a people. Now, I want to ask, why does this really matter? Like, seriously, why are we spending so much time? We're ambassadors. We're reconciles. We got to get out there. We got to go be salt and light. Why does this matter? And so the question is, what does... Why does emphasizing identity matter in disciple-making? And I want you, real quickly, to turn and make a case for it. Make a case for why emphasizing a new identity, it's often neglected in disciple-making. Oh, we got a purpose, because we got heaven and hell, and we got a great hope for the future, but it's like, turn, trust, and follow so you can live with purpose to have hope for the future. We've missed something here. Four reasons identity is essential in disciple-making. Fixating on purpose, the doing, without the being, the identity, frequently burns people out. I like Mike Bickle's quote, lovers always outwork workers. Every time. Number two, it can create cult-like dysfunction. See, cults aren't just groups of people who teach beliefs that go contrary to the teaching of Scripture. It's also groups that might have the right beliefs, but their practices go astray. I was riding here with somebody who came out of a Christian disciple-making movement. 
Let me read the metrics. I wrote it down. Here's what he had to report on. How many people did you invite to church? How many people did you invite to evangelistic Bible study? This was weekly. How many attended your house church? How many attended your evangelistic Bible study? How many of them were guests? How many of them were members? How many attended your Wednesday night teaching and your prayer groups? And he said, man, it just created so much pressure. He said, it starts the follow-up that you had to do with a member who didn't show. Um, It started because you care, but it became because you have to report it. And he said, uh, you had to report how many days out of seven did you have your quiet time? And so this was just feeding a monster. They believed everything at that time that, that Renew is espousing. And yet their identity was based on a performance mindset. In other words, disciple-making was about the, the, the multiplication without the transformation. And it can spread disease. That's the next one. It can and will multiply disease. Remember back to that when you try to help and it might actually be hurting? Focusing on disciple-making without identity transformation at the deepest level and core of your being might actually be multiplying dysfunction. And ultimately, it's, uh, it's disobedience. And what we're going to do now is I just want to fly through, because you, you might be wondering, yeah, what, what again is the biblical basis? I started digging in, and there's just a ton. Let's just look at some of Jesus' personal examples. In his early years, he's found in the temple, and he said what? Didn't you know I had to be where? Not in the temple. My father's house. At his baptism, what was said of Jesus? This is my beloved son. How many sermons had he preached at that time? How many miracles had he done? How many people had he delivered? Zippo. Zero, as far as we know, based on the biblical teaching. But I am pleased because you're my boy. Wow. That's how it should be for us. But we got a lot of baggage we got to overcome. Um, the, the father's voice on the Mount of Transfiguration. Again, this is my son whom I love. Jesus at Lazarus' tomb, he affirmed his close abiding relationship with the father. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the people standing here that they may believe you sent me. He's just speaking of this abiding identity with the father. His servanthood came out of his identity. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. In other words, I am able to bow and wash your feet because I know who I am. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. And that enabled him to be such a sacrificial servant. Uh, John 14, his explanation of being in the Father and the Father in him. John 17, which we hit on, you shared about this. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have. I mean, this is just so laced with the sense of his immersed identity and relationship to the Father. And then it goes to this, uh, O righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these know that you sent me. I made known them to your. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. That somebody read that. Do you have it in front of you? What does it say? That what? The love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus' heart is for us. All of our brokenness, all of our baggage, all of our false identity slash idolatry. 
to have this fundamental heart longing fulfilled. Who am I? Our identity in relationship to him as the object of his love and compassion like that with which he had for Jesus. He's the I am, and you could go through all the I am statements. But then his teaching. So, so clearly, if being a disciple is about becoming like Jesus, we, got, we have to focus on this. Because Jesus focused on his identity so much in relationship to the Father. But look at his teaching here. Let's go to the Great Commission. The Great Commission is typically so focused on the multiplication. Go and make disciples, but understand the context. He says, I am with you always. That's a statement of identity. Back to your I am. He is. I am. And then even just baptizing into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anybody done a word study on this? The Greek? We just think it's, oh, it's just when you baptize somebody in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. This is a relational expression. And I really like, um, you guys listen to Caesar Kalinowski of Everyday Disciple? Amazing. Write that down. Amazing podcast. He's got that little drawing you see there that we have a relationship with God who exists in a Trinitarian form. And he didn't have to reveal himself in that cooperative, interdependent oneness but he did, and we uniquely relate to each member of the Godhead, and it's part of our identity. And so he talks about we relate to God as a father, and that makes us a family. We relate to Jesus, the son, who was a sacrificial servant, and so we also are servants. We relate to the Holy Spirit who sends us and empowers us on mission, and so we are a family of servant missionaries who make disciples. You see, we don't just make disciples. We are baptized into a family of missionary servants who make disciples. We did something similar, Joel, and I was going to hit on just a couple examples, but we, many churches use up, in, or with. They use in or with, but it's meaning relational, and then out, and we have four. Up in relationship to God. In is his inner transformation of us. Character, identity, wholeness healing, freedom. With is the relational, and then out is the mission. Five-minute warning. You can look through the rest of the examples of how Jesus' teaching compel us to focus on identity. Let me just give you a couple things in closing of how do we do this with others. It starts with us. Study your identity in Christ. Meditate on your identity in Christ. Confess when you're not putting your identity in Christ. Claim and appropriate your identity in Christ. Celebrate it with others. Share it with others. And if you had to self-assess how well you're doing, I think all of us would say, I want or need to grow. You came here to this session. God led you here because he is wanting to lead you into a journey of deepening your full joy in knowing and living out of your identity in Christ. As you do that, though, There's opportunities to lead with others. And so um, here's some things. You can include identity in your formal verbiage. And so that's why we talk about the in. Um, Even just talking about the good news of the gospel is not Jesus died on the cross to save you ever since so you can go to heaven when you die. It's not just that. It is that, and that's really good news. But it's also that he did that to restore your identity in relation to the Father so that he will come back and bring glory to every crack and crevice of humanity, and he started that work now. The kingdom of God is breaking out now with a whole new identity. You can preach and teach on it. You can train on it. 
you can do with your leaders, staff emphasis and accountability. Um, and let me just share a few things we've done. Our vision is joining God in restoring a broken world, and that includes a personal restoration as well as a relational restoration and a societal, locally and globally. Um, we define the gospel as the good news of Jesus, that when we turn, trust, and follow the one who's through his life, death, and his resurrection, we get a new identity, which leads us to have purpose and destiny. You can just talk about that. Figure out in your context how to weave that in. Our definition of a disciple is not a follower of Jesus. It's a follower of Jesus who is being changed and who helps others follow Jesus and be changed. We use the up, in, with, and out for sermon series and say every year, are we hitting on the in component of identity? Because vision leaks and so does the right identity in Christ. Um, we just tend to get go back to our base operating system. So we emphasize it. We did a series recently on destroy the lies, build a new identity. We've built some training, a disciple-making catalyst, and an emotionally healthy discipleship catalyst using Pete Scazzaro's stuff. And we have walking in freedom. We have restorative prayer. Um, we, with our staff, um, focus on staff and core leaders living out of our identity in Christ so that then we're sharing what we're already... Don't sell what you're not smoking, basically. Um, I put some resources because we do have to wrap up to give everybody a chance um, and I, actually, one of them is the book that my wife wrote about our daughter. Kayla, Kayla lived without regrets, and so the book is titled, She Had No Regrets, The Life of a Girl Who Knew Who She Was. Kayla, and I don't want to even say past tense, Kayla knows her identity, and she's living in the fullness of our identity. And so it's a great resource. Among the others, uh, Caesar's stuff, Pete Scazzaro's stuff, um, Graham Cook is all over this space. Dig in, dial in, use them for yourself and share them with others so that your identity will fuel your disciple-making and your hope for the future. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us on the Real Life Theology Podcast. We hope that this session on identity gave you some purpose and some empowerment to take into your life and into your ministry. Join us again on Thursday. We'll have another breakout session for you then. 